Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry, hence why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. Each week, we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started, and of course, where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, episode 52, we sit down with Dara O'Neill. We discuss his background coming to the States from Ireland, pursue a professional golfing career, and how he got involved eventually in the energy efficiency industry. It's a really neat story. We also uncover how Empower Equity, or MPEC, is going to market today from a software and from a finance standpoint. And we, of course, close out the show with Dara's daily non-negotiables, where I, which I thought were absolutely brilliant. Really good stuff there. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to our channel and consider downloading this episode in future episodes. This is really the only way that we can track how many people are listening. So if you're one of those people out there who are streaming the episode still, I urge you to consider hitting that download button instead. And if you enjoy this episode, please share it and leave a five-star review on our page. Now, we think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Dara and I, so let's drop in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today we're sitting down with Dara O'Neill, who is the Director of Utility Programs and Business Development for Empower Equity. Dara, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, it's a great pleasure. Really appreciate you uh, inviting me along. Yeah, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad we made this happen. So for the audience members out there, for those folks who don't know who you are, could you tell us a little bit about your background, maybe where you grew up and then how you got started in the industry? Yeah, it's just, so it's quite a uh, roundabout story in, in a way. I grew up in uh, Dublin, Ireland. Um, That's where the accent's from. <laughs> yeah, I lived there for the first 20 years of my life and uh, moved over to the States when I was 20 to play actually professional golf. So it's not a uh, you know standard story um, you know, where how somebody gets into uh, uh, energy efficiency, but uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, I, uh, what do you call it there? Uh, Coming over here when I was twenty, you know, just not knowing anybody and you know trying to make a way, make my way to the tour and uh, high aspirations. But unfortunately, as a as a little t- tougher than I thought, I didn't quite make it. But fun nonetheless. So I'm sure I know we had a we had a connection at the um, so that audience who doesn't know who, who NASCO is. NASCO is the National Association of Energy Services Companies, and they had an event a couple of weeks ago where it was at Top Golf. So were you showing off there, or did you did you you know? Throttle yeah. it back a little bit. <laughs> so I'd, I'd had the ACL replacement surgery just two weeks before that uh, event. I wasn't even sure I was going to make it. And uh, okay. so I, I did. That was the first place I hit balls after the surgery. You know, but I couldn't I couldn't uh, unleash it you know, like I'd like <laughs> to. But yeah, definitely it was a lot of fun, though. Uh, wait until next year or wait until the next next event. So I'm, I'm sure anytime there's a corporate event where golfing's involved, you're probably the first one raising your hand or uh, getting voluntold to go. It's still my favorite thing to do. You know, yeah. I'd play every day, if I, twice a day if I could. Um, uh, and still still love it dearly, close to my, close to my heart. But uh, very passionate about energy efficiency as well and, and yeah. you know, climate change in general. So uh, love what I'm doing. Excellent. All right. So the golfing thing didn't quite have the uh, the career longevity that you were you were hoping for when you came over here, but you found your way into energy efficiency. So walk us through that. You know, so once the golfing thing didn't work out for you, where did you go, and then how did you get into this space? Well, yeah, and that's that's a fun story too. So when I was twenty four, I uh, 
you know, stop playing as much because I started a professional golf tour for young guys that were trying to trying to make it to the tour. And uh, it became the largest independent tour in the country, probably in the world at the time. We had 70 events all over the country. We had a show on the golf channel. It was called the Teardrop Professional Golf Tour. And uh, I sold it to Teardrop ultimately um, and uh, went back to Europe and started another one, another professional golf tour in Europe for young guys in Europe trying to play. And uh, sold that one as well. And, and then started to get into building property around golf courses, uh, golf course property development, and, and but with a sustainable uh, focus. You know, one of my best friends, he was a golfer as well, and he'd, uh, he was just so passionate about climate change and what was happening. This was back in 97, you know, just uh, you know, almost 25 years ago. And, and he just wore my ear off and, you know, would never, he was always talking about it and, and all his arguments made perfect sense. So, you know, when I, when I decided to start building property, it was, it was with that focus, you know, trying to be, and, and golf courses, it was very much, what could I do to make them as sustainable as possible? There's a lot of talk about golf courses being environmentally unfriendly at the time. And it was uh, just, trying to combat that a little bit, you know, chem, no chemicals and, you know, doing everything you could to encourage wildlife and, and the properties that we're putting on them, make them as efficient as, pop- as possible, energy efficient as possible. And that took me up to hundreds of homes on four different, you know, countries, uh, Ireland, Spain, Turkey, uh, here in the US, uh, up until 2007. And uh, everyone knows what happened in 2007. And, you know, it was a global catastrophe. It wasn't uh, isolated anywhere. It didn't, uh, Bear anyone or anything at the time. It was uh, it was pretty devastating and uh, took a massive uh, hit during that time and and back to square one. But learned so many lessons about really what mattered in life and and uh, coming out of that that was you know the focus. What what could we do to build another business, have an impact, and energy efficiency was one of the things in a recession that seemed like it made a lot of sense to uh, what do you call it uh, help people save money as much as possible and, and we developed a wireless building automation technology that uh, wireless web-based building automation technology and it just happened to suit the american market more best better than anywhere you know there's so much hvac over here in restaurants and uh the, the restaurant load was the highest load per square foot of any of any building so we brought it back over to the us in 2009 and targeted restaurant the restaurant industry multi-site restaurant industry and and had a good bit of success there. Um, uh, so, so I got to jump in when I heard wireless technology in 2009. I mean, that had to be like very new to the market. Brand new, yeah. I mean, a, like what what was the response from some of these these restaurants you're talking about? Like wireless technology for controlling HVAC. You probably had to do a lot of education at that time. Yeah, we were we did, and we were miles ahead of the curve. You know, yeah. we, we, there wasn't any other uh, right. at the time. You know, wireless web based technology, and it was a mesh network. You know, sometimes had some challenges in, in connecting that, but it was so easy to install. It was just so, uh, you know, when you don't have to run wires, it's so much more cost effective. We could get it in quick and fast and, and uh, relatively cost effective. Certainly the ROI on, you know, the uh, solution that we were offering was was really attractive. So we made made a lot of noise, so much so that we, we uh, brought in an investor uh, who uh, helped fund it and got greedy and really wanted to take it over. And uh, he did ultimately got rid of everybody except the one guy that wrote all the code. It uh, unfortunately, eight to ten months later, went out of business, and uh, you know he diluted everybody anyway. But uh, it was it was a sad situation. But that led me to you know go on to find a role with Comfort Systems USA, one of the largest mechanical contractors, you know, automation business. Sure. Uh, 
business uh, are, are building controls. So, it, you know, it was like taking a leap forward, quantum leap forward from, you know, the influence that I could have from a small startup to, you know, one of the largest mechanical contractors, the largest mechanical contract in the country. And uh, that was a, an, a really interesting time. Great, really enjoyed a great company. Yeah. Yeah. So you've seen a lot, right? So you had the founding kind of the entrepreneurial itch there with the, the wireless controls business. Then you went to work, large corporation, probably fortune 500 company. And then now with Empower Equity or also known as MPEC here, this looks like it's, it's kind of a startup type environment. Maybe I'm mistaken, but tell me more or tell us more about that, how you guys are going to market and kind of the founding of the company here. Yeah, exactly. So in 2016, the company was founded by uh, my two partners and colleagues, uh, Herbert Dwyer and Derek LeClaire. They're both the Cornell MBAs. And uh, they were in energy auditing and working for ESCOs. And uh, they decided to try and fill a niche to provide finance for energy projects. And they did that for, uh, I met them while I was at Comfort Systems. And uh, they were providing finance nationally for uh, Comfort Systems. And uh, they... um, it just made a lot of sense to me. You know, it wasn't really a uh, something that we offered at the time, and certainly none of the you know con- a lot of the contractors that we uh, worked with across the country didn't offer finance to their customers. It's something that's really uh, popular with residential customers. You know, they'll they'll fund a you know eight ten to fifteen thousand dollar HVAC purchase through finance, but uh, wasn't very much so uh, with commercial uh, contractors. So. That was appealing. And then the, their fintech company, we're a fintech company, you know, and they had developed the uh, software and the, the online tools and portal to, to expedite that and make it really simple to do. You know, part of the, part of the challenge with commercial contractors and, and HVAC sales techs is that having a finance conversation is a difficult conversation to have, especially if you're talking to a CFO who knows, you know, 100 times more about finance than you do. You don't want to seem stupid, and your your expertise expertise is the equipment itself. So how do how do you avoid that conversation? And, and we we've done a lot with the tools, the software platform to to answer all those questions, make it very quick and simple, and and offer incredibly you know competitive rates to to make it simple for a CFO to say, yeah, this makes way more sense than uh, you know doing it any other way. So writing a check for it. So. So we obviously got connected through through NASCO, right? Yep. So I would imagine some of the customers you guys are working with are probably some of these energy services companies, these contractors here. But how else are you going to market today? Or is that yeah, it? Is that the primary that's a, strategy? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, finance is finance. There's a ton of finance companies out there. Everybody has a relationship with, you know, their uh, their local bank or their, you know, bank that's, you know, hosts their account. But so we we did try you know really hard to differentiate ourselves and one of those ways was uh, with the fintech you know we have we developed one of the, one of the challenges that we came across when talking to our customers was the capturing of information the capturing of information when they're going out bidding projects you know doing site surveys uh, having having to walk through buildings capture all the inform- the equipment information so that they can price it for their customer. And it, it, it's not just the, the time on site, it's the time after you've been on site, putting all that information into some sort of proposal, you know, into a spreadsheet so that you can capture it, estimate it, all of those things. So we developed a really, really cool tool. I mean, it, it uh, is an app for the phone, um, both Android and uh, Apple. Um, it's, uh, you can use it on a tablet, 
And literally, as you're walking through doing your survey and capturing equipment, you're snapping pics. You can take a picture of the nameplate, and it uses optical character recognition to read it. You've got, you know, you can dictate all your notes into it. You uh, eliminate 90% of the work that you do after you've done your site survey. So instead of going home and spending a day or two, you know, putting all that information into a proposal, you literally have everything you need once you've completed the walkthrough to export it as an Excel file, a PDF of a, you know, a full proposal with all your pictures all in one place. And then if you ever need to, you know, revisit it or um, do anything to it, it's all stored in the cloud. So you can just go straight back to it. All your projects are all there other than, you know, handwritten notes, you've got photos, you've got, you know, a spreadsheet here, and it's just all over the place, right? And, and without having to do all that manual work to put it all together, our, our tech figured, that, figured all of that out. And uh, it's being used all over the world now. In fact, uh, we uh, have a site in Japan right now and multiple uh, units, mo- I mean, hundreds of units and, and equipment building a survey that would have taken them six months, you know, doing it the normal way. They're already you know miles ahead of where they would be. So when you're communicating with these prospective customers, is it more common for them to say, "Hey, we already have a software that we're utilizing," and then you have to overcome that, or is it, "Hey, our guys are good; they're doing the pen and paper thing," or like, or I mean, what what's like the objection that you have to overcome? Because I can't imagine all these executives and these escrow. Oh yeah, sure, let's do it. Sign, sign us up right away. I'm sure there's some skepticism with this, right? Exactly. You know, it's it's the uh, early adopters that you're looking for at this point, sure. you know, sure. uh, and the biggest question that we, that we ask is how do you do your site surveys today? And how much time do you spend gathering information, bidding jobs and have what percentage of those jobs do you win? You know, cause if you're only capturing 30% of your jobs, like in the HAC industry, it's very common for most people to get three bids, right? So two of those contractors are not going to win. Right. And, and they still have invested the same time. It's not like you can charge the customer for the survey. So you've got that embedded cost and you just write it off as an overhead over the years. Right. You say, well, you know, just add that to the 30% of the jobs that we win. Right. And, and it pushes the cost up. So reducing that cost, eliminating that cost is, uh, you know, an essential part of being more uh, effective, efficient and lowering overhead and, and uh, making your, making your, sales team and your and your reps more more uh productive you know if you if i don't have to come home and and create reports and, and build that report i can be out doing more surveys you know meeting more customers and uh you know and lowering that overhead cost is a, is a big deal for them so that's that's that that's this the it's really uncovering the pain and then trying to help them quantify that pain like what does it cost you annually to have to bid all those jobs get all those surveys you know capture all that information. Literally, if you have, if you put a dollar value to the person that's doing it and the amount of hours that he spends doing it a year, how much would that be? You know, how much does that cost? And how many, how many people do you have doing that? And once you can, once you can quantify that cost, it makes sense to them. So, and, and the reaction we've got is phenomenal. And, and obviously it's early stages, um, but the number of companies that have seen it, and I'd say to a man, 95% of the people that we show the, uh, the app to are like, that's incredible. Wow. Where was this? Where has this been? I've been, I've been doing this with pen and paper, still do it today with pen and paper. Right. I'd say 90% of the people today still do it with pen and paper, probably because they don't know about, you know, our app and, and uh, the way, you know, you can do it, but it's just amazing how set people in this industry are in their ways. And the, uh, you know, the trust factor, obviously, you know, 
once they know, once they write it down, they have it. And there's a little bit of, you know, fear to overcome about, you know, I'm going to lose this data. Like if I, if I get home and this is gone, I'm, what am I going to do? You know, but it's never the case. It's back built. You know, I, I'm curious. I, I just want to step outside of the, our industry for a second and just look at it from like a global macro trend. We hear a lot about automation, right? There's so much talk about automation and moving a lot of these like medium paid jobs in the industry are now going to be automated. So now you got lower income people and super high, highly educated, high income people, generally speaking, right? As we talk about automation across the world, as you look at this software, do you see do you see the individuals, the talent, the energy engineers or whoever it is being less talented because your software is so robust that, hey, now we don't need somebody as intelligent in this role, or do they still need to have the same level of competence, but you're just making their job quicker and more efficient? The latter. You know, okay. the, the, we're never going to replace the engineers. We're not even trying. Right? And it literally uh, makes their job more efficient, makes you know, helps them to do their job more efficient. Can they do more jobs that way? Yes. Does that make them more productive? Yes. Um, but it's not ever going to eliminate, you know, what they do. They still have to do yeah. their calculations, still going to yeah. do their analysis. It just literally saves them so much time. You know, okay. And then by, by embedding finance as a result, when, they're pre, when, they're, when they get to that point where they've created their scope of work, made their recommendations and added a cost to it, the ability to, uh, you know, quickly offer a finance option in addition to that cost to the customer with a simple link. Hey, if you're interested, just click that link. And if you have any questions, here's here's our partner, our finance partner, who can answer any of them for you. It's not our specialty, but if that's your option and that's where you, the way you want to go, you know, please do. That's very cool. Yeah, and that kind of ties into a, a common thread throughout our, our podcast here has been energy as a service and the financing element, right? We've had a lot of folks on here so far that have talked about that. So I like that you're, you're weaving that into your, your value proposition. So, all right, so let's utilize that as kind of a launch point to talk about the future, right? Let's look into the future, five, 10, 15 years from now, where do you see our industry heading and where do you see MPEC positioned? That's, uh, you know, really a great question again. You know, the, the current environment uh, just in the last six months, you know, has obviously changed. There's a focus back on uh, energy efficiency, back on, you know, uh, climate change in general. And uh, that's a massive shot in the arm that, you know, uh, previous uh, years were quite lean and, uh, you know, challenging to say the least. But uh, it's it's great to see. And I think it's a wonderful time for uh, our industry and for you know the country in general. I mean, we're definitely still lagging behind you know some of the uh, country, the other countries in the world, um, and there's, so there's a lot of uh, opportunity there, a lot of opportunity to get better. The technologies that are coming, you know, coming out, and the the options to uh, to uh, be better are certainly you know there. And uh, one of the trends that I really love is the stick versus the carrot. I think we've, we've you know, adopted the carrot uh, for since this industry began, you know, make it, make it attractive, make it, you know, so that it makes sense financially, you make it, you know, as easy as possible to do, but it's still optional. Right. And, you know, you've seen what's happened in New York with local law 97, you know, it's no longer an option. It's stick. It's, 
hey, you do this, or it's going to cost you a, a lot of money. It's going to, the penalties California are California too, right? The California exactly, New York yeah. are kind of leading the charge on that. Cal- right? California, New York, it's happened to Seattle, it's happened to Philadelphia now, it's happened in uh, Washington, D.C. So you're okay. starting to see the dominoes fall. And ultimately, you know, there that is the trend that I see most, uh, you know, affecting uh, the entire industry. It's just not going to be a choice anymore. You're literally going to be forced to do it for a good reason, right? Because it, 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 it's not that it is expensive or, you know, it's burdensome. It makes sense here. You're saving money. You're saving, you know, the, the, the finances available. It's not like, you know, you're, you're taking something on the most, in most cases it's cash positive right from day one. You know, the, the cost of the equipment, if you finance it over a long enough term uh, with the energy savings that you're creating, it, you're putting money in your pocket, but it's amazing the, re- the resistance to that. If I don't have to do it, I'm just not going to do it. Right. Uh, I'm just, I've got too many other things on my plate. It's not, you know, it's not a priority. I'm just not going to do it. And it's only you know, a small percentage of my P&L. So let's just leave it, right? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like the person that waits to get into shape until they absolutely have to, until the doctor tells them, tells them they're going to die unless they start you know, changing their <laughs> diet and working out. Or they have a heart attack, right? And yeah, then, yeah. And then, and then, and then and they, they make it through, but you know, now now we got to change their entire life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's great, great analogy. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, good. No, this, is, uh, this has really been... Uh, this is good stuff. So I wanted to transition to the last part of the show here and ask you the same four questions that I ask every guest who comes on and wanted to lead off here and ask you, Dara, what are your daily non-negotiables? First thing, making a cup of coffee for my wife. Uh, not, not for me, but uh, definitely. Uh, it's one of the things I uh, you know, just committed to not, just a few years ago and made such a difference. You know, So <laughs> I, I, I always do that. But then Gratitude. Now, is this a K cup? Are you just putting a K cup in, or do you make like a special no, tea no. blend brew? Or yeah, you doing exactly. Something yeah, special. Just, okay. Well, just you know, turn on the coffee machine and just you deliver it to it in bed. But it's not uh, it's not a K cup. You know, just uh, yeah. what do you call it? A, a nice uh, blended cup of coffee. Yeah. You know. yeah. But that that's that's kicks the day off. And then you know, gratitude. I always you know try and just uh, write some uh, about half a page in my uh, gratitude journal. Just you know, thinking about what I'm uh, most grateful for today and uh, start the day that way exercise is definitely a non-negotiable um you know trying to get to the gym at least four or five times a week but if i don't do that you know walking yoga sometimes you know uh, just for flexibility and and uh, and always trying to you know a little bit of inspiration from podcast or a book you know some uh just way to uh get some inspiration or some, uh, you know, new perspective, uh, building efficiency podcast. Is that normally what exactly, you yeah, to? Yeah. That, yeah. That, just, that, just daily all, dose of that. All 52, 51, <laughs> 52 with this, right. this episode. Yeah, definitely. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, I love it. It's great. Great show. And, and congratulations on that. I'm doing it. It's really good. Oh, no, no. It's uh guests like you that make it, uh, make it fun and make it easy. So oh, that's awesome. Well, what advice would you give to your 22 year old self? Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, I have a 20 year old and, uh, I don't know if when I was 22, I would have listened to anybody, you know, nobody was ever going to get in my way of, you know, what I wanted to do. And while, you know, you take advice on, on maybe technique and the golf swing or, you know, some, uh, but very difficult, uh, to tell anybody everything, anything, right. Is you got to learn it. it. Certainly, uh, I needed to learn it, uh, the hard way. And, uh, um, but trying to share that wisdom, that I learned over life. Don't waste a minute worrying. It's the worst possible use of time. Forgiving those people that wronged you because why would you carry that pain? I think would probably be the two most uh, 
important pieces that uh, I could pass on to anyone. Yeah, I know it's it's tough because most twenty to twenty two year olds they know everything. They got everything all figured out. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they got life figured out by then. Just an old guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, what uh, what motivates you? What what gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah, okay. I mean, golf a lot, but <laughs> I'll never, you know, I've never been late for a tea time. I've been late to a few meetings, but I've, I'm, uh, you know, competition, uh, being trying to be better. And I think that comes from that golf, you know, mentality when you're, when you're younger and trying to improve, just, uh, you're always trying to do better than you did the day before. And that's, you know, literally uh, it's carried all the way through, uh, my life. So yeah, competition, whether it's on the gym, the golf course in business, always trying to do a little bit better each day. Love that. And hopefully our, our, uh, you know, next generation, they don't miss out on that. Right. We hear so much about the participation trophies and everything that's going on in youth sports today. Like we can't lose the competition and winning is important aspect of our society, man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm a huge team player. I love team sports, especially football, you know, our football, the, uh, you know, soccer con, but, um, it, I played when I was young and watch it today. And, and yeah, I mean, it's important to be a part of the team and, you know, carrying your weight, but I also like leading the team, you know, pushing yourself harder than anybody else and, sure. and leading by example. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last question here. What do you want your lasting legacy to be? That's a great one. You know, from personally, I mean, you know, just being a good dad, being a good father to your kids, trying to teach them the value of a sense of humor, discipline, hard work, optimism, you know, and resilience. I think more than anything, no matter how, how many times you get, knock down, just get back up. And that that's probably my biggest one from a business standpoint, really that, you know, I was able to help as many people as I possibly could really all we're trying to do is solve problems for people and, and, uh, deliver finance that, uh, makes an impact, impact on climate change, impact on their business, you know, however we can, but that, that would be my, uh, ultimate legacy. Well, I think that's a perfect way to, to wrap up the show. So Dara, thanks for coming on the building efficiency podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Jim. Great. All right. All right, there you have it. Episode 52 with Dara O'Neill. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. Now, we hope you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues as well. And one last thing, if you have any future guests in mind from the industry, please reach, please reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.